CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association Vancouver. It's season three, and we're exploring how our homes can improve our well-being. We'll be looking at the impact of the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the acoustic levels in our homes, smart kitchens, award-winning designs, and leading-edge building construction. We ask the questions, so you know how to make your home work for you. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Mike, nice to be in the studio with the Measure Twice Cut Once crew. Yes, it is, Jennifer Lee. Last episode, we caught up with Joe from Nikoon Contracting and Kang from Architrex Design Studio to discuss custom home building and design trends. Today, we're going to be focusing on renovation trends and how renovating above basic code can benefit the homeowner. This is a topic that is close to me as my family's business focuses on custom home building and renovations as well. And as Joe said in the last episode, there's always a number to work to. Everyone has a budget. The key is to understand what is important to the homeowner and to set priorities based on those goals. It sounds like we're going to be talking about pre-renovation planning today. Yes, I believe this is to be the case. Well, let's dig into it then and introduce today's guest. We're super fortunate to have Henry Belisle, owner of award-winning TQ Construction. And his client, Dr. Janet Simmons. They're going to discuss what it's like working together while renovating a 1912 heritage house right here in Vancouver. And Henry, you and I go way back. We have been on the U40 committee for quite a few years, obviously seen you at a lot of events. We both come from building family. So I'm really excited to finally get to interview you today. But for people that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and TQ Construction? So my name's Henry. I'm a contractor. I have a building problem. TQ Construction's been around since probably about 1985, we're a design build company. Um, we started off kind of doing small projects, well, that we, company has been around since before I was born. My family started off doing small projects, from, started building stairs and decks, and then pretty quickly moved into renovations, home building, and then the design build space. Honestly, because when the company was ongoing or starting, that um, the level of design and kind of integration between designers, builders, architects, and the people on site, we found gaps being missed. And so the design build model was kind of adopted from large projects into residential ones. And we were one of the first in town to do it. And, uh, and so now we're uh, a very, very happy and successful award-winning renovation and custom home building company. And uh, I'm really excited to be taking on projects like we are with Janet now, um, where we're taking on a, like doing large, complicated projects involving renovations and long-term planning and uh, really finding out what's best for the home. And you also are part of a family business, like you mentioned, like myself. So yes. I know there's a lot of stories there working with your family. Oh, many. Yeah. Well, what's really exciting is Janet's here and getting to know Janet, we found something really neat out. Um, Jennifer and Henry, both are the children of builders and grew up around that. Janet, you grew up around construction and some innovative construction as well. Can you tell us a little about what you grew up around and what sort of motivated you to do this project in this manner? So one of the first things I grew up with with construction is my parents bought a old house um, on the corner of the block that we lived on and gutted it and renoed it and we moved in there when I was in high school. And then my mother really got the building bug and she went to trade school later in life and she learned to do carpentry and she got very interested in trades and construction and she actually started building spec houses and she was sort of like as the 
co-general contractor. She didn't have any formal experience, but she worked with a lot of people and she got really interested in uh, Passive House particularly. So she built a Passive House on spec and that was one of her big projects that she did. And so, you know, she really instilled in me like, all this energy efficiency, but also just thinking about the the quality of the construction and how that that influences how a home performs and what it's like to live in that house. And so that's really where when when my husband and I were looking for a home, we realized there was nothing that was on the market that was going to be ready to go. And we were going to have to do some sort of renovation. And we decided that we would just do it all. <laughs> we were worried about scope creep, so we just decided we would just buy a house that needed everything done, yeah. and that's what we did. Started from scope creep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what's really exciting about this is when your mother was doing those projects, Passive House and Net Zero wasn't really a regular part of the conversation. So in, in many ways, your mom was an innovator for some of the stuff that we talk about on a regular basis, which is really exciting. Can you talk a little bit more about the belief system that you had that motivated you specifically to create a passive house or an energy efficient house because obviously it's not as price efficient to build that kind of home what what motivated you to want to build that type of home I mean I think I mean besides my mother saying that she would kill me if I didn't <laughs> I think it really but really it's you know if you're doing a big project like this yes you're going to spend a little bit more money focusing on some of these key things but if you're spending 10 or 20% more on construction and you're saving 30, 40, 50% every month, year over year for the whole lifetime of the house, then that's money well spent. And, you know, there's, so there's the financial aspect, you know, energy prices, who knows what's going to happen. It's going to get more and more expensive to heat and um, run our homes. So you're kind of insuring yourself against the future for that kind of thing. If you have a highly energy efficient home. And then there's also just like the lifestyle, the personal choices that we want to make. So knowing that my husband who has allergies has like clean filtered air during allergy season coming in through a HEPA filter. So all of those things, you know, make it worthwhile to us. We're not doing a full passive house. There is lots of reasons for that. Character homes, it's, you know, it's not impossible. It's very hard. And there's also personal choices that we want to make. We really like cooking with gas. So we've, we want to be able to have a gas-powered uh, range in our house. That's important to us. We wanted a hot tub on the deck. That's not really passive house friendly. But there's lots of other things. You don't have to go full passive house to think about how are your windows performing? How are your doors sealed? How are, you know, the orientation of your windows Are they going to let in nice warm sun during the winter months? Are they going to be shaded during the summer months? All those things you can think about without having to make compromises in terms of your lifestyle. And I love the fact that you guys are thinking about this because a lot of the times when we think about high performance homes, we think of brand new builds. And there's a lot of heritage homes here in Vancouver as well as New Westminster where I grew up. And it's nice to kind of take that little bit of heritage and be able to move it into the future. So can you paint the picture for our audience of the home that you purchased? It's from 1912. Tell us a little bit about it. What drew you to it? (laughs) So, I mean, what drew us to it is really that it was the right size and shape, which is really the only things that we're keeping about the house. But specifically, you know, it had really nice curb appeal or I could see the potential for the curb appeal in terms of the overall shape of the house and the roof massing and this like the basic architectural style that was there. We liked the space and the layout, especially, you know, we wanted three bedrooms upstairs with room for a master bathroom and a secondary bathroom. And so that was something that was important to us. The other thing that was surprisingly difficult to find when we were shopping for houses was that the second floor was not under the eaves. So specifically, like your bedrooms do not have slanty ceilings. And that was something that was important to us. 
So all of our, like their second floor bedrooms are like full height ceilings. And so it's just those sort of personal things that we we're looking for when we were thinking about what do we want the layout and the footprint of our house to look like. And you said your home is designated character. Can you tell the audience a little bit, and maybe this is a question for Henry, what's the difference between character and heritages? Because I think a lot of times when we look at these properties, we're not sure exactly what we can and cannot do to them. We kind of entered the project. The house wasn't designated character yet. That's something actually we did ourselves. Heritage designations are very tight in terms of what you can do with the building and what actually fits within it. Like a heritage home needs to be essentially in its original state. So when it was built, does it have similar hardware, similar layout, like not really renovated? It's like it's it's something like you would put in a museum if you want. Like it's a capture of of the, the time that it was built in. Where a character home is more about the size and shape, like the front of the building. We think of like the character of a neighborhood is what the, the intention of the designation is. Like the idea is to preserve like the feel of neighborhoods. So the city has created like an basically an incentive for people who like Janet, who buy, buy a home or planning a project. And when you're dealing with something like, like Janet is taking on for, our, for this renovation, it becomes a real conversation on whether or not you should build a new house. And if you're going to build a new house, then it's really common to use, like, you know, you engage like a, a great architect or home designer, and then you end up with a, like an awesome design, but it may not match and look like it's supposed to be there. It might look like it's kind of like sticking out like a sore thumb on the street. And so what the city has done is basically created a program where if you keep the original size and shape and use similar materials to finish the, the, like the curve facing part of the home, your front entry, there's an allowance for extra square footage to build on. And so one of the, one of the, that's one of the cool parts about this project is that if, if Janet had decided to tear the home down and build a new one, then we would have ended up with a smaller house than, we, than we're going to end up at the end of this project, probably by, to the tune of around six or 800 square feet. Like it's a noticeable difference. The funnier part about this project though is that the square footage listed when you bought it was about the same as we're gonna finish with because there's so much non-permitted addition work done to the building. So they've actually recaptured the attic space and then turned that into an office, added some stairs and deleted a bathroom. There's an addition off the rear that it's really hard to tell if it was fully permitted or not. It's very poorly done. Um, there's some strange things about this house. But to your question is that working with it meant that we had to kind of use, like, for example, cedar siding on the front, as opposed to what we commonly use as like, like a hardy or stucco or something like that on the sides, is what, which is sorry, what we are doing. And that's because hardy didn't exist in this, you know, pre-1960. So like the designation for a character home is it has to have been built before 1960 and have the original primary roof form that it, that it had when it was built. So if the roof lines and like the front face of the building are slightly different, you're at risk of not being able to achieve that designation. So, Janet, when you were looking at this house and looking at all these different subtle nuances and how'd you sort it out? Was it scary for you? How'd you figure out it was the right house for you when you're trying to make an offer? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows the Vancouver housing market is kind of insane. And even this house, which definitely had lots of issues, it was staged. It looked nice. Like you could definitely have been actually I showed people the listing photos and they're like, oh, you're going to you're going to renovate that. Like that looks really nice. I actually had the same thought when you sent it to me when you first called. I yeah. was like, you really want to get this place? It looks pretty OK. But then, <laughs> then you got in it. Yeah. And, and then I visited and it's a different story. So, yeah, so it was you know, potentially quite a big project. And, and we knew that, but we, we did want to be sure that we had a good sense of what we were getting ourselves into. And so even though, you know, everything is crazy and there was going to be offers on one day, in the span of 36 hours, I was able to get a contractor in, a home inspector in. And after the home inspection, the home inspector said, oh, you know, that's all these things, but also like, I don't know about the foundation. I don't know about the structure. So I actually got a structural engineer in just like reassure me that it was not going to fall down if we started touching it. So, <laughs> and I, I managed to do that all in 36 hours. 
and I, you know, I got a good sense from the contractor that, yes, the things I wanted to do were possible. It wasn't going to be impossible to, like, take down this wall or put that Nana door in. Like, that was within the scope of, you know, reality. And I had a good sense of, you know, the ballpark price of what that would look like. And I had the reassurance from the home inspector. Um, well, actually, there was no reassurance from the home inspector. The home inspector was like, <laughs> everything in this yeah. is a mess. But actually, that was helpful, too, because then when you're talking about price or, you know, it did actually, the home inspection, there were three home inspectors in the house at the same time, right? Because this is how Vancouver is these days. And the home inspection itself scared off one of the other potential buyers and made one of the other buyers offer quite significantly below asking. So when I came in, I had a really good sense of what needed and what I was willing to pay for it. And it helped me like feel good in my offer. And it ultimately, I think the inspection helped us get the house and, and be confident in what we were buying. Yeah. And I think you just mentioned something great because we've talked about it a few times on this podcast, but the fact that you sent Henry the listing. And I always think it's a good idea if you can, and maybe Henry can jump on in this, but if you are looking for a piece of property, it is probably a good thing to contact a contractor that you're thinking of using just to kind of be like hey is this worth it or not definitely and that's something that i seem to do at least three four times a year for for clients or potential clients whether it's someone like janet coming to me like hey here's a project i'm kind of thinking about or i'm looking at buying this house and doing some renovation is it a good candidate any builder or renovator should be able should be able to do fairly comfortably just kind of like a quick look through to see if anything really jumps out because there's real differences between a house that makes sense to do like an addition or to do like a re- an energy retrofit or anything like that. And a home inspector is like really important part of the buying process. And I think we kind of play different roles in this. Like a, a home inspector, like what I do, like is different than what a home inspector is going to bring to that conversation. They're going to point out like, hey, your your roof has X number of years left on it. You, you know, you're, you, know, you have copper pipes in the home. You know, you, like, you know, you might want to look at getting the home repiped if you do a renovation. They'll give you those kind of, that kind of insight, like surface level, like, or cracks in the walls, etc. But where someone like myself or another renovator or builder can come in and say is like, oh, well, this house would make sense to do a top story addition on or because like we can look at the layout or take a look at Google Street View and just give a get a quick sense on if it's going to be really challenging to do something like that. And fortunately, like for what, what Janet had in mind is that this house is actually an excellent candidate for it is because we're not actually having to mess too much with the structure to get what we need done. It's a lot about opening the place up and like cleaning it up up a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it started with we want to be we want to consider energy efficiency and, um, you know, just environmental impact when we're doing this house. But we also had very specific like we want this square footage. I want this layout. I want this Nana door. And, you know, thinking about how do we get the insulation that we need it really you know I think it all kind of goes down to the basement right Mm -hmm. really thinking about how are we going to make this home as efficient as possible we need to redo the basement and that that becomes a big part of the project yeah so that's kind of where we focus getting those insulation values and thinking about what we needed to to achieve like the energy efficiency of the home while still like I mean, and I guess the plus or really what what the the what we wanted was a fully finished, dry, clean, warm basement. And so that uh, became a big part of the project. And that was something that we weren't actually considering at the outset. Like it was it came really clear once we got into the planning that it only really made sense to redo the basement. Like when we say redo, we're not talking about refinishing it. We are lifting the house, removing the existing basement and then building a brand new one. And that's became important because one it was a musty, damp basement, like many old, many of them are, because concrete is counterintuitive, but concrete works like a sponge. It kind of just pulls water in through it. It's just big, heavy, and slow. And so 
what we're going to do is essentially build a water and airtight basement that's now going to be sunk a little bit deeper. So the old one had about seven foot ceilings ish. David Janet's husband's a fairly tall guy, so we wanted to feel comfortable. And then, so instead, we're now we're the ba- basement floor we're sinking deeper by about two feet, so we're going to have it just under a nine foot ceiling. And I know in a lot of those older homes, I've talked to other people about that before too. It's really trying to make sure you have that height because sometimes in the bathroom area, especially on the top floor, people are like trying to crouch into their shower because obviously these homes were done a long time ago and people were different shapes and sizes back then. And basements weren't used. Like that was a really, that's a really common thing that we see in older homes is that basements weren't really designed previously for living in. They were designed for like storage, like it's called the cellar where you just like put all your junk and then live upstairs. And then over time as, you know, families changed and people needed to get a little more out of their house, then you start seeing basements being redone, but they weren't meant, like when they were originally designed, like they're not meant to perform the same way as like a main floor or the top story of a house does. And so they're uncomfortable and that's why no one likes living in basement suites is because they feel weird to be in because there's like a little moisture, musty, and like the air quality is not as good, kind of going back to where we started about why high performance building is good and good for people, not just for the energy reasons, but because you get, you know, better air quality, you know, it feels nicer, it's quieter. Yeah, I live in a basement suite currently. <laughs> it's a nice basement suite, yeah. but I definitely feel like sometimes the air quality down there is probably not as great as on the main floor. For your basement suite, though, Janet, are you gonna like, is it just a place you guys are gonna hang out? Or are you guys actually making it into a rentable suite? It's not going to be a rentable suite. There was a couple of challenges with that, one of which was the, the legal access to, to the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, they were going we were gonna to have to like, re- currently there's a side door, which was not up to code, and we were going to have to like sink a whole sunken patio in the front of the house, which would destroy the character thing. So it wasn't really possible, but that's fine. We're happy with it as like basically it's a guest suite connected to the main house. Um, and, uh, and, and space for like a recreation room and, and, uh, a dog shower and all that good stuff. Yeah. So you got different things that you want, because I think that's something that a lot of young people like ourselves are looking at now is trying to find other ways to have more added income, uh, just because obviously living in Vancouver is very expensive, but it sounds like you were okay with the trade-off that you get to have what a dog shower. Did you say yeah. <laughs> yeah. Among other things. It's actually a really yeah. cool space. Yeah. So, I mean, we went from not really thinking we're we're going to do the, so, so much to the basement to the basement being like a big chunk of the budget and the project and, you know, making other decisions um, in other places of the house. But that's that was that's fine. I think we're going to really be happy with the finished product. And it's going to just like there's so much heat loss in a house. And Henry can talk to more about this, but like there's so much heat loss in a house to the basement. And so we doing that goes so far improving the efficiency of the home. Janet, I just want to ask you um, specifically, we've talked a lot about, you know, the type of house that you want to create in terms of your goals for energy and energy efficiency. Can you talk a little bit more about how that type of house is going to support your goals for comfort? Like we talked about like the, the bedroom at night, the temperature you like to sleep at and stuff. What specific comfort aspects of building this type of house really appeal to you? Sleep is very important to me. So I start there. Having good windows, good insulation is sound insulation just as much as it is, as it is heat insulation. So having quiet in your house, not having to open your window to get a breeze because you have a good and well-constructed ventilation system that's going to bring in fresh cold air, keeping the bedroom, you know, the temperature that you want without having to spend a lot of energy on air conditioner and heating because you're well insulated. So knowing basically that you're going to have like a nice, clean, cool, dark heating space, uh, sleeping space, and and then the, the actual quality of the air. So, you know, 
when there's allergens, when there is particulate matter in the air, you actually don't sleep as well and you actually don't wake up as refreshed. So that cleanliness of the air. And I think somewhere in like passive house literature, I was reading, like someone was saying like they actually in their passive house, they have no drafts, they have really clean air and they sleep so well. And actually when they go anywhere else, they have a really hard time sleeping now, like in hotels or anywhere else, because they're just so used to like the high quality air and the consistent temperature of their home. So I think that's really like, important to us. That's awesome because now you've talked about comfort, but you've also tied in the other big one, which is the health benefits of living in one of these type of houses as well. And the long-term benefits go well, well beyond cost as well. So really appreciate you talking about that. Yeah, and I'm always cold. So I always love the idea of these homes that are going to keep you warm because I wear like 12 sweaters in my basement <laughs> suite. I'm the exact opposite of you. Oh, I yeah. need it to be like exactly 16 degrees in my bedroom. <laughs> I oh, can't yeah. sleep. <laughs> yeah. My brother laughs at me because he, he's like you. He loves cold. And I said, oh, I got a heating pad uh, because I needed one. And he's like, how would you sleep with that in your bed? <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. It's toasty and lovely. Anyways, (laughs) um, when you're working with such great people like Henry, of course, there's a massive team. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how you got the team that was right for you to reach your budget and uh, your potential uh, design goals for your home? Yeah. So, I mean, my husband and I definitely have the philosophy of like find good people and then let them do their thing. <laughs> I feel like there's a story there. <laughs> I know. I You know, the, the whole team's been really great. You know, I had, you know, coming in, I had very specific kind of goals and priorities. And so they listened to that and they heard what I was saying and, and like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get um, the right, the right people, the right assessments, the right sort of uh, look at this place. I think, you know, choosing a contractor, of course, is a really important thing. And it definitely was a little bit daunting for me as someone who's relatively new to Vancouver and doesn't really have like connections. And, you know, I was calling around um, and basically what I ended up with was I just talked to a bunch of people on the phone. I kind of honestly just like got a vibe off of people. And I actually sent up like three different like Zoom interviews. And like my husband and I like formally interviewed three contractors on Zoom. And then we we made a decision based off that. So we knew that we wanted um, sort of like that all in one design build kind of thing. We didn't want to have to be coordinating between services. So that was a factor. And then, um, yeah, just sort of getting a sense like, does the contractor have experience doing the kind of project that you're talking about? Like, especially if you're talking about a character or heritage restoration, you need to make sure that someone has done that kind of work before and is prepared for what um, that, you know, entails, as opposed to someone who's just building new homes is probably not the right choice for someone for doing a character renovation, for instance. Let's talk about my favorite subject, and I think everybody's favorite subject while um, building, and that's, of course, the permit process. Well, it's complicated, to put it mildly. It's, um, the city of Vancouver's permit process is challenging, and it took a long time to get this permit. Probably about seven months and four days, if anyone was, I, no one was counting, I was counting. The homeowner knows. <laughs> Believe it or not, though, this was one of those smoother permits that we've ha- actually gone through. We had minimal revisions back and forth. We did a lot of upfront planning work, consulting. Because it's a character project, we had to be really clear on how much of the original home we're retaining. Because it's like you have to keep 50% of the original structure, otherwise you don't get the designation. And so we had to do a lot of back and forth and workshopping with the city of Vancouver, like, like building and planning department. And... There's so many little hoops to jump through, and which makes Vancouver a challenging place to work, to work. But it's 
also the only municipality where we could do this project. Like it, this project wouldn't make sense anywhere else. Like to do this, like we couldn't, there's no other municipality that gives you a little extra square footage because you're keeping an older house. So well, this would have been a new build in another municipality though, which is, I think like personally, I, I like that Vancouver does that because I'm a believer in keeping and retaining as much of a building as we can because I'd rather not throw it away. There's a lot of good product in there. There's good material and, as much as we can avoid like, kind of diverting to a landfill, the better. I was actually going to say, Janet, that seven months and four days is actually quite quick. Yeah, <laughs> because you can be waiting a lot longer than that. And that's why, again, why you hire the right team and you hire somebody like Henry that can uh, take the burden of the permit process for you. Totally. Like, I mean, it was annoying to wait. And, you know, because especially when you're anticipating, you like it's a fun project, you want to like get it all done. But at the same time, you know, all I had to do was wait. I didn't have to like go back and forth the city <laughs> or like, you know, hit, hit my head against the wall or like do all these revisions. So it was great to have the team behind me and all we had to do was sit here impatiently. <laughs> and you really illustrated that you didn't have to do a bunch of revisions back and forth. And I think that illustrates the value of working with one of our members is that the people you work with who understand this process understand how to apply properly the first time because there can be just as many delays waiting for permit revisions as there can be for the permit. So as an efficiency point, it's really important to work with great members. Now, Henry, I have a question for you. This is something that for our audience, I think will probably make more sense than from the builder community. But here, here we go. So when that house was built in 1912, there was one set of building codes. And every few years, there was another set and another set, another set right up to current. How do you balance the stuff that's in there that was built in 1912 code with stuff that's built to 2022 code? And how do you juggle at so it doesn't get too too costly for the homeowner or or whoever you're managing the project for with great care that's that's how um it's you have to be really delicate in your planning around that because there's like you say like you say mike there's homes like built in 1912 1920 1930 40 you pick the decade and almost everything up until 1990 something there's if you touch certain parts of that home then now you're the expectation is you're going to bring it up to the current code and so for certain parts of this project, we were very deliberate about not altering certain parts of the building because it would have meant that certain rooms got smaller or like the stairs have to be longer, for example. And so we're being very, very careful, though we're, like, we're basically removing all of the finishes in, in this building. We're not touching, for example, the existing stairs. We're about short about two inches on clearance of headroom above the stair. And so, but if we lose that, then we, we shrink the bedroom above and it becomes basically a den. And that's not really like Janet mentioned earlier, like we're looking to have three solid bedrooms upstairs. When you're planning a project, and there's something that you really want to avoid having to upgrade, it's important that you communicate that with your builder, and you're aware of it. You're strategic about where exactly where the project starts and stops. Because if you're, if for example, just going back to the, um, the idea of Janet's stairs, is that if we decided we wanted to say extend the landing out a little bit to make it a little more comfortable, that would have meant we that would have created like basically like pulling a thread on an old sweater. Like we just would have created this like cascade of decisions we have to make in the project. And uh, because we identified that early as something we like wanted to work around, we basically designed around that point. Did you find it's more challenging to get permit approval for a more technologically advanced house? I mean, obviously, we've been building to a certain standard and specification for years. When we start going into that passive net zero space and talking about emerging technology like heat pumps, does that alter the permitting process, slow it down, speed it up, anything like that? It can. It really can. And I think the biggest thing is you need to have everything well thought out. Like a lot of what I'm, what I 
I'm like very firm on is having done the city, a bit of the city's work for them. And so you need to give, like anybody, like you're making an argument or you're asking somebody for something, you need to give, you need to give the other party a reason why they should approve it. And so a lot, I think where a lot of builders and planners fall short is by just saying like, here's my project. And then just like letting the, the city or the, the city staff basically just navigate their way through your permit set. Whereas for a higher performance home, there's gonna be a lot more questions. So you have to kind of provide them the answers before they even ask them. So whether you're getting sign offs from other professionals who are basically saying like, whether you have an envelope engineer who's willing to say like, I've approved this design of the exterior, of the exterior envelope of this building, then the city's not gonna worry about what, what, what materials you're using because they know a professional's already signed off on it. Same thing goes with your structure or your architecture or, or your mechanical system. You want, they, like, there's going to be things that the city's going to be, any city is going to be concerned about in an application like that. And frankly, most, most planners, most building inspectors are not as educated as, like, as, your, as, the, as the average, not the average, but um, as builders who are doing this high performance work. And same thing, same goes for the designers. Like we're often far ahead, and it's actually creating a bit of a challenge for for some of us, where the people who are inspecting our work aren't don't understand what we're doing. I want to get into the actual high performance of your renovation, but first we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Henry Janet, this is such a great conversation. Hearing about your process of including professionals from the very beginning and how the project has been carefully planned, looking at different pathways to get the home you want. It is so inspiring to hear and share this with our listeners. Measure Twice Cut Once is grateful for the support of our podcast partners, Fortis BC. Their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from Henry and his client, Janet, to help design and renovate the right home for you. Speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code Program is a provincial standard that is moving the entire home building industry forward to build homes to better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca where you'll find a variety of rebates for construction materials, home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. Now let's get back to Henry and Janet. Okay, so now we get to get into the real good stuff. I know you're a fan of this and this is the high performance home benefits. I know we talked a little bit at the beginning, but really what was the big driver for you and your husband to have some high performance elements to your home? I mean, I think that at the end of the day, it's really just thinking about if this is going to be the forever home, then how are you future proofing that? We know that codes change every five, 10 years. And so in 10 years, you want a home that doesn't already feel outdated or already feel drafty or already feel like you need to replace the mechanicals because your energy bills are skyrocketing. So that a lot of it was this is a big investment for us, and it's really about making sure that it's going to be um, a home that sort of stands the test of time. And we know that things are changing very quickly, especially with um, energy prices, energy sources. And we want to, you know, at the end of the day, though, it doesn't matter how you heat or cool your home, but if it is well sealed and well constructed, then, you know, you need minimal additional input to that house to keep it comfortable. And so that was really um, the driving thing for us. So we talked a little about the comfort. We talked a little about the energy. One of the things I'd like to talk about is the health benefits of this house. Now, I'm not a doctor. So in all my years of non-medical training, I've been able to sit and listen and watch. And one of the things I'm seeing, and you tell me if I'm right on this, is a huge increase in allergies and seasonal affective disorders, asthma, breathing issues, and things like that. And it's mostly environmental. So let's talk a little about some of the choices you made, some of the active decisions you made to help mitigate some of those external factors, like smoke from forest fires, like you talked about. And specifically, can you talk about the health benefits for someone like myself? 
myself because I'm going to be looking at a new home soon as well. Why would I want this home from a specifically health and physiological perspective? I mean, there's so much that goes into the air that we breathe, right? And um, not, you know, there's allergens and smoke and pet dander and carbon from the, from the, from cooking and everything like that. You want a house that is going to protect you from everything that's outside and also, you know, remove the things that are being generated from inside. So, you know, you talked about asthma and respiratory diseases, you know, definitely anything like that's you're breathing in, that's not something that you want in your, your lungs, your body has a system of getting rid of that, but it does can create inflammation. Talking about well-ventilated spaces, like right now with viruses and COVID, you know, you want your house to be well-ventilated, that you're having air exchange so that those things don't stagnate in and build up um, to high levels in your house. So there is there is benefits from, you know, the quality of the air you breathe, having less sort of those inflammatory things in your house, having better virus and bacteria filtration and everything like that. And then there's also benefits to... Being comfortable makes you happy. Being happy makes you healthy. Like it's all connected. So I think that um, we already talked about sleep as well, right? Having a really good sleep environment builds a good foundation. So all of these things, if you wake up, you know, well rested, refreshed, and and you and you're breathing healthy air, that has to impact your health and the health of your family. And thinking about, you know, starting a family and having kids and thinking about childhood allergies and all those things, it all comes from being exposed to so many different things in our lives. And if your house can be like a little bit of a safe haven from that, then, you know, that's so great. And it makes it gives you real peace of mind in your home. Well, and that's great because on the news today, and I've been told this by my doctor before, um, it was interesting. They were talking about the link between global warming and seasonal allergies now because a lot more people are getting them and they're getting far worse. So I think that's so important to know. This like, has been one of the worst allergy seasons this year. And um, people who live in Vancouver, like I don't get allergies. I started getting allergies. My husband suffered from allergies. He's on like so many steroids right now. <laughs> um, it's been it's been one of the worst allergy seasons in Vancouver. And you're right. Global warming is, I think, only going to make it worse and make those uh, seasons last longer. Right. So there's more time of the year where you really don't want to be opening windows to cool down your house. So it's really important to have a house that is going to protect you from all the seasonal stuff out there. And so, you, like you said, once you feel more comfortable and you're not sneezing and taking reactant every day, yes. you'll be a lot more happier. Yes, if you can avoid nasal steroids, it is generally good for your health. <laughs> we should have a little conversation about some of the technology in the house specifically because you did not elect to go with a gas furnace. You went with some different technology, Janet, and that leads into two things. One, I'd like to talk a little about that technology, but also I'd like to talk about gas because, you know, there are people like myself and yourself who absolutely love, love, love cooking on our gas range top, but we are still trying to have that delicate balance. So can you talk a little about how you um, compromise so you still got some of the gas you wanted and were able to come up with a solution that helped offset some of that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that, you know, things like cooking with gas, that's, you know, I totally agree is like so important to us and that's like personal choices that you know are really important when you're building a house um so we 
we really were not willing to compromise on having a gas cooktop. Um, but we did want to, I mean, the heat pump really came about as we wanted to be able to efficiently heat and cool the home. And that's the major, one of the major advantages of the heat pump is that you get the cooling as well. In these climates, my what I have been told is that sometimes the heat pump can't heat by itself all the time, especially when it gets super, super, super cold for those couple of days in the winter. And so um, often you need a backup system and a gas furnace is an option for a backup system. We decided to actually, I didn't want to buy a whole gas furnace. That was my thing. And, that, you know, and the footprint of it as well, right? So we ended up using the hot water system as our backup for the heat pump. So when it gets really, really cold, the heat pump can actually pull hot water and use that as a heat source to then heat the home. And that hot water is coming off of our on-demand heating system, which is gas powered. And so there's definitely gas in the house and it made sense even in an energy efficient home, personal choices as well as just the overall design of the house. Um, so you definitely can and, and reasonably should have gas when it makes sense. Um, but we were you know, using a heat pump and then backing it up with a gas powered uh, hot water heater. And Henry, for our audience, because I see it on commercials all the time, can you just give us a quick little rundown of what a heat pump actually is? So heat pump essentially is a heating and it's like the, the power or thermal source of a heating and cooling system. So what you can expect, what a heat pump does is, is it pulls, I guess, the temperature or the thermal energy out of the air. So what Janet and we're using is called a, like an air source heat pump. So that you can, there's water source where I think you can even get some that are geothermal source. But the idea is you take temper, te all temperature, all air has thermal energy in it, even if it's like you're at close to freezing. So what a heat pump does is it takes the air, pulls the thermal energy out, and then uses that, like, through, you know, refrigeration, like ammonia or, or whatnot, um, to either give you hot, hot, hot or cold air. And so we're doing this through a mix of, like, forced air and also what's called, like, a mini split. So where you have small little, like, you know, some of them are the size of, like, a bread box, some of them are a little bit larger, but basically heating and cooling points throughout the house. So you can kind of have, like, a little, little portable AC unit or heating and cooling AC unit um, in different rooms. But then you can also, using a heat pump, deliver heat like through like a forced air system like most people are, are used to in their homes, like like you have in like a conventional furnace. But the upside is you don't need to bolt on um, like an air-conditioned unit on top of your furnace to get cooling. In this sense, you can just, you can either heat or cool with one device. And how does the cost of investing in a heat pump compared to investing in traditional technology and it's a two-parter and how do the savings from that heat pump offset the cost of that investment like what's the length of time for amortization for lack of a better term uh well heat pumps are have a higher upfront cost because one the equipment's a little newer and the installation's a little more technical like it takes a little more expertise and because you're dealing with refrigeration chemicals there is like a little more you want to have someone who really knows what they're doing where with a with a furnace system you're essentially you know, you have the unit, you connect the gas, you have the, the, the air source and the air distribution, and it's a little more simple. And there, are, there are fewer mistakes you can make. Um, heat pumps have a higher upfront cost because it's newer, a little more complicated, but then also, like I said, a little more technical to install, um, though they are substantially more efficient in terms of their energy use to almost any other option that you can get. Like one of the key, it's, you see it all, that there's a reason why most high performance homes have a heat pump in them is because it's really hard to, to really beat them like it's you put a heat pump into an existing home insulate it well and you're already a good chunk of the way there because the, it reduces the overall energy load of the building by a substantial amount 
interestingly, the house when we bought it didn't actually not have ducting to the second floor. It was not actually heated or cooled on the second floor at all. The ducts only ran to like, you know, the basement and underneath the first uh, floor uh, floor. But so knowing that we just we ended up, you know, we were considering, should we do all mini splits? Should we do a centralized system? Knowing that we ended up with a centralized system, where are the duct runs going to be? And so I was really pushing, like, I need to know exactly where these duct runs are going to be, because I know that if you don't know exactly where the duct runs are going to be, then sometimes we need a 12 by 12 box to go up to the second floor. And oh, by the way, it's going through your walk-in closet space. And that was not going to be acceptable to me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, okay, how do we, how do we get it upstairs without uh, running it, you know, through the second floor? Because there's no space up there that I'm willing to give up. And so we talked about it. And so we came up with a design where we're actually going to do a tray ceiling feature on the first floor. And that's going to run the ductwork all the way around to the second floor. And it's going to be a design feature in the living room. And, And so you can work it into your design, but you have to know and be thinking about it during that design planning about what the mechanicals are going to look like. It's so smart because people forget about the guts of the home. Like everyone's like so focused on the design. They're like, I want this in my bathroom. I want this. And it's like, wait a second. (laughs) You need all the guts that make your house run. And sometimes it just doesn't work for spacing. And I can't wait to see your walk-in closets when it's done because (laughs) that would be my favorite feature of the home. But it also illustrates the importance of the relationship between your design team and your building team as well, because if one is not working with the other effectively, you get those calls like, why are there 12-inch ducts running through my walk-in closet, which thankfully we didn't have in this case. No, we didn't, thankfully. It was actually one of the first things we really nailed down about the design. Like, a lot has changed about our planning of the house, but once we placed our mechanical room, created, like, a chase from the mechanical room all the way to the top floor, and then figured out our pathways for all of the, the heat ducts and, like, Rebecca, our designer, came up with a great idea of doing this, like, tray ceiling. Like, it's a classic. You see in a lot of older homes of, like, that cove ceiling with, um, it's, like, faux beams and, like, a big, like, cool perimeter details. And it's something that we all kind of like, and it fits the area of the house. And so when it came, we had realized we had an opportunity. Like, we needed to get heat from one side of the house to the other without having it look ugly. And so we kind of just really leaned into it instead of, like, kind of trying to, like, eliminate all of the ducting instead like okay well how can we make the ducting a feature and have it like look like it's supposed to be here and so we're built we're at it we're actually building a little bit extra of like a bulkhead or a drop in certain parts of the living room that's not going to really be used for anything it's just but it's but because like 70 percent of the ceiling perimeter is all ducted then that means that we can like it's going to look like it's supposed to be there and it's going to look really nice most important question janet does your husband get his own walk-in closet (laughs) (laughs) so we have the walk-in closet fully designed and there's like one wall that's eight five feet and one wall that's seven feet so you know mine's the longer one but he gets five feet oh he does get a space yeah yeah, he gets to make some choices along the way (laughs) (laughs) he's actually been very involved in the design He, he sort of took some of Rebecca's things and redesigned them on her, but it's fine. I just enjoyed this conversation so much. I've learned so much about character homes, heritage homes, uh, just passive homes in general, walk-in closets. It's been great. (laughs) Thank you so much, Henry and Janet, and thank you for joining us on today's episode of Measure Twice, Cut Once, understanding the benefits of involving the professionals from the beginning and proper planning, including all parties required to renovate, cannot be overstated. 
TV can make it seem so easy, and yet from today's discussion, you can understand the clear benefits of transparent communication and realistic planning. Janet is going to get the home she has been dreaming of, and of course, that walk-in closet. Absolutely, and knowing that a home renovation can include high-performance building solutions to realize some of the amazing benefits they offer is incredibly valuable. Today, we've learned so much. Like, it's a good idea to have your builder or renovator review the possibilities before you buy. Your team will include many professionals, including you, the homeowner. Clear intentions, including your budget, equals the ability to reach your goals. Permitting is not cut and dry. Talk to your renovator who can help you determine the choices. High-performance homes equal better air quality, efficiencies, quiet spaces, carefully planned for improved quality of living. And wall assemblies and building envelope impact can be improved significantly and improve the livability in the home. ICF Minimum R28 is easy to achieve. You just have to talk to the professionals. I mean, I guess I would say that if you're getting into a big project like this, you just need to be very... Um, you need to be honest with yourself about where your boundaries are, what you really want and what you're not willing to compromise on. And you need to be able to communicate that with uh, the professionals that you're working with. And then, you know, again, my philosophy has always been hire the right person and let them do their job, but make sure that they have the information they need to do it, which is what's important to you. And Henry, not sure how you're going to top that answer, but what is your um, <laughs> one tip? I was just going to say like what she said. Uh, no, it's, Really one of the biggest tips I can give anybody about um, about planning a project of any scale is to be to be clear and serious about what the outcomes you want are. Uh, everyone's needs about for their home are going to be different and and it's, there, there is no one size fit all for projects like these and that if you and your family need, if you and your family are clear on what you want and how you want and where you want to get there and what the, what the boundaries are and you can clearly communicate that to the, the team you're working with, you're going to have a successful project. It's oftentimes it's as the builder or the designer if you don't know where you're trying to get to it can be really challenging to guide someone there and then it can be really frustrating for everyone involved thank you so much those are great tips and i think we should get back in the studio with a follow-up episode when the project is finished to see how the plan works so i also want a tour man <laughs> yeah i want to see it as well to our listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow and like and share with your friends, families, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, and anyone else you think might benefit from the conversations we're having today. The more followers we have, the more people will find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests are sharing. And for notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, including pictures of this amazing project, go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. Thank you for joining us. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com.